0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now let's worship God by opening His Word. We'll be in verses 1 through 10, Ephesians 2. God, we come before you, and we just ask that you would illuminate this passage from your scriptures to us. Um, Lord, I, I'm, I'm just an ordinary man uh, with your extraordinary message in, in your book, and so I ask for your help um, to explain and to expound the, the beauty here. Uh, the story here that you tell us. And so I pray for receptive hearts that we would hear from you, uh, that, Holy Spirit, you would, would just light up these words into our hearts that we would leave here changed. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, our text today, uh, if, if, you, if you didn't notice, there's a, a story to it, uh, a narrative arc and, and what is a, a story? Well, a story has some components. So a story has a, a character. There's somebody that's involved in the story. And the character faces a problem. So in The Lion King, Mufasa dies and Simba's got this problem of who am I now? Or in Sandlot, they hit the ball over the fence and the, the, the beast, the big dog, is there and they can't get the ball. There's a problem that is unsolvable by the character in their current condition. And so they come to the end of themselves and they, they, they have to, to meet this problem, deal with this conflict in some way. And they must, get, they must either change to, to, to rise to the occasion or they must get help from outside themselves. And in a story that happens and then we see the, the, the conflict addressed and then the character at the end of the story is different than they were at the beginning. There's a, a narrative arc to a story and, and there's a narrative arc to this, this passage. It's really a story of, of spiritual rescue. And it's really your biography if you're a Christian. And it can be your biography if you're not a Christian But it's a story, an epic story of of death to life, how we go from from the grave to heaven. And I'm I'm concerned that a lot of us don't understand this story. I'm concerned that a lot of people think that Christianity is joining Jesus, like like joining a club, or like making a New Year's resolution to do more religious activities. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I'm concerned that this has crept into our thinking, and this is actually affirmed, this, this method of thinking is affirmed by the world, by the unbelieving world, because the, the unbelieving world says, I do, therefore I am. So I define myself by what I do. If, if I go buy some gear and I start running every day, I'm a runner. I do, therefore I am, but that's, that's not the reality of who we are. That's a cheap self-definition. Because what the Bible says, the, the, the reality is that our being, who we actually are, precedes our doing, not the other way around. We don't define ourselves by our actions, and I'm afraid that, 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 that we can get this twisted in our faith to where we begin to think that, that becoming a Christian means just just making a life change. I'm going to do better stuff, I'm going to be nicer but we must be reborn. John 3, 3, it'll be on the screen. Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy who he's, he's good at doing the religious activities. He's got the things down and he comes and talks to Jesus. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, What? How can a man be born again? How does this work? And he's thinking physically. Jesus is talking about spiritually. You have to be born again. Not go from from bad to good. Go from death to life. And I want you to know this is an exclusive invitation. There's one way, and that is through Jesus. It's very exclusive. But that invitation is open to all of you this morning. It is an exclusive open invitation for you this morning to come. Verses 1 and 3, we see the, the, the problem in our story, the dark part of the story. And it's dark. In the movie, The, the Sixth Sense, it's old, so I'm going to spoil it for you, but you're too late uh, if I do. So there's a guy who's a child psychologist Bruce Willis, and there's this cute yet creepy little kid who apparently sees dead people. And so Bruce Willis is talking to this kid, and this kid keeps telling him, I I see dead people. And Bruce is like, I think I might fire him as a client. He's not really paying me anyway. And and so they, they keep going on. And by the end of the story, Bruce realizes he himself is dead. There's this epiphany of like, oh, so I'm dead. And and so in verse one it says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. If you are without Christ, you are without life. Not misguided. Graveyard dead. A corpse. A body. Not lost. We we, we say that a lot in kind of our Christian Christianese. Oh well, that person is lost. Well, that's not true. We're not seeking God and and, and having trouble finding Him. If I want to try a new restaurant on the square in Denton and I take a wrong turn, I'm lost. I meant to go there, but I didn't get there. But if I go in my truck and I die of a heart attack, I'm not lost, I'm dead. So we're not lost without Jesus. The, the assumption is that we're inclined toward him, and that's not what the Bible says. Romans 3 says, says this. It'll be on the screen. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And so without God, we're, we're dead. What does is, what is this death look like? Well, I just want to mention something. Spiritually dead people don't always look dead. Spiritually dead people could, could look just like us, like you. can be a cleaned up corpse. You don't know by looking. Dead people sometimes read their Bibles and can quote Scripture to you. Dead people sometimes go to church. To be spiritually dead is not to necessarily look spiritually dead. Some of the most jacked up people are not spiritually dead. And so if you look at someone and their life is a disaster and you're like, what a wretch, unsaved, unclean. It's not how it works. Those are the people that Jesus came for. And so you can't always just tell by looking. And just as Bruce Willis realized, if if there are some of you in here who are spiritually dead, I pray by the Spirit of God that you would find that out this morning and come to life. Verse 1 says that we're dead in the trespasses and sins. So the, our sin is our corrupt nature, our disposition toward rebellion, our dark way of being. And we, we inherit this from birth, and we also choose this. So we can't just say, well, Adam and Eve are idiots, thanks for that. But it's, it's what we choose, We choose this rebellion in a trespass. If someone trespasses on your property, if they jump your fence, they've crossed the line. What this text means is there's a line that God's law lays out and all of us trespass. All of us. So all of us have a sinful nature. All of us trespass. I I don't think you would disagree with me unless you're completely delusional, but but some people remain dead in that condition. Verse 2 says, in which you once walked. So dead people do what dead people do. Not a desire for God, but a desire for self, a desire for experiences, affirmation, and power. So, experiences, I want something novel and fun that, that pleases me. I want affirmation. I want you to think well of me. And I want power because I want to keep this going. Experiences, affirmation, and power. And it's, it's really a DIY resurrection, DIY salvation, DIY blessing. That's what it means to, to walk in those sins and trespasses, following the course of this world. So so spiritual corpses fit in with other corpses. Y'all ever seen Walking Dead or a zombie movie? The zombies aren't looking at each other like, hey man, your jaw is falling off. They're just walking around. They don't really care. Just fit right in. Verse 3 says that by nature, a spiritually dead person is a children of wrath A spiritual corpse marches toward destruction. Satan is leading the march, it says, the prince of the power of the air, and it is a march toward hell. It doesn't get any darker than this. And I know some of y'all are maybe just thinking, like, why did I come here? This is all hellfire and brimstone. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And you have to understand this. It's fundamental to our understanding that we're not misguided. We're not on the wrong track. Without Christ, we're dead. This is the all is lost moment in our story where it's like, I don't know what to do. Because dead people don't get up and and make things better. They're they're just dead. But that's not the end of this story. Verse 4, grace breaks in. It says, but God, but God enters in, grace breaks in, dead people don't have to be dead anymore, but God, this is the story of the Bible, it's a story of human history, people are jacked up, if you read the Old Testament or just read your history book, you see just horrible things rebellion and rape and murder and idolatry and just all of these things. And and in the Old Testament, the story of the Bible, we, we see all that happening and God is working the whole time. But you just see a rebellious people just rebelling over and over and over. And then at the end of Malachi, there's 400 years of dramatic pause. It's just quiet. There's 400 years. Dot, dot, dot. And then God breaks in. Jesus comes, and he puts on flesh, and he puts on bones, and he comes to execute this great rescue plan to make dead people live. God says, you can't do it, but I can. And so the Father sends the Son, and the Son, by the power of the Spirit, comes and perfectly executes this rescue plan. Jesus came to die for sinners that sinners would not remain dead, but they would be alive in him. And this text is a personal application of this big story. It bears on you and on me. So are you spiritually dead? Are you a a clean-cut corpse Are you so ashamed at what you've done that you feel dead inside? Or are you so tired of living for yourself that that you can't do it anymore? Are you tired of living on your own terms? Jesus calls you this morning to live. 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 Verses 1 through 3 are the darkest of dark. And verses 4 is the lightest of light. God doesn't roll his eyes at us. He doesn't just strike us dead. But he comes. And this is where the story changes. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God and now we can be alive together with Christ. We once walked according to the world, but God, and now we can walk according to his kingship. We once, once marched with Satan, but God, and now we can march according to him and, and in obedience to him. We once were a child of wrath, but God, we can be a child of promise. You can be a child of promise this morning. Do you see how different this is from joining Jesus Or making a life change, or turning over a new leaf. Do you see how different this is? That to be made alive together with Christ means we're a new person, a new creation, we've been reborn. The heart behind all of this is mercy. God is merciful. The heart behind his mercy is a great love. God is loving, and so he breaks in to save messed up people like me. And this is a love that that existed before the foundation of the world. It's a prehistoric love. He didn't wait till we got better. You need to hear this. He's not going to have to. God doesn't wait on your behavior to save you. You don't have to clean yourself up and get better and sober up before God will love you. That's not what this says. It says, verse 5, while we were dead in our trespasses, still dead, God comes. You don't have to clean yourself up. And Jesus offers to take the blame for everything that you have ever done. To take it on himself for it to be nailed to the cross, finished, done, everything you've ever done, everything you're currently doing that you have not confessed yet. Everything that you will do, paid for. And he offers you to, to rise with him, to live with him. Verses five through seven, we see this, the, it just gets better. Better. And better because through Christ, God makes us alive with Jesus and we receive, all, we receive all the benefits of heavenly sonship and daughtership. Verse 5 We've been made alive together with Christ. What kind of life is this? To be joined with Jesus, to be alive with Him. What, what, what does that look like? It's a meaningful life, a life with great purpose, a life with direction a life with mission. It's a life that, that, that's not fragile, that, that, that is eternal, it does not end. It's true life. Verse 6 says that he, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, i got to be honest with you. I don't fully grasp this. There is a beautiful mystery here that I can't just perfectly explain to you to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. How beautiful is that? How unsearchable is that? That in some sense, Brad Larson was raised with Jesus when he rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father, united in his exaltation. What I do know is that at the right hand of God, Jesus, there's great power with him so through Christ there's great power working in me and through me and if you are in Christ same to be seated with him be exalted with him you have great power running in and through you the power of Christ and he's not done yet he's not done yet so so my mom is the the Tom Brady of giving gifts I mean, like, legit, legit. It is her love language, her gift language. It's, it's what she does. And so every time we go to Houston to see my family, there's a little curated thing of gifts. One Christmas, she gave us umbrellas. Okay. Thanks, Mom. And so we open the thing, and there's money hanging from the umbrella. Like, she, it's, it's lavish. Mom is generous. But mom can't touch God's generosity. We see in verse 7, it says that in the coming ages, God would show his immeasurable riches of his grace. Paul's reaching for words, immeasurable riches. How do you even put this into words, the riches of God? Because we understand, you you can this morning understand enough of God's grace, enough of the riches to sing the song Amazing Grace over and over and over again. It is amazing, transforming, but you're not done experiencing it yet. In the coming ages, God is going to continue to show his children his greatness, his kindness, his love, and he's going to lavish and lavish. It's like your palate expands to where there's new flavors. His grace is unendingly pleasurable. And if you gave my mom a scrillion dollars, she would run out of ideas to give. God's never going to run out of ideas to give to you. He does not run out of creativity to bless you with his grace and with his love. He is endlessly creative and how he wants to bless you through Christ. And so this, this coming to faith, this being saved is not a transaction, but it is just an, an endless, eternal Epiphany, where God wakes us up to more of the riches in Christ. And note too that it says that that these riches are in Christ Jesus, not just from Him. He's not a vending machine, He's not a genie where He just gives us stuff and we think, Jesus, you're pretty cool, but He is the treasure. Knowing Jesus is the prize, He is not a means to an end, He is the end and the means. He's the way to salvation. He is the prize of salvation. Jesus is everything. That's why we say it all the time here. Jesus is everything. We're not, it's not just a trite statement. No, he for real is everything. He's what you've been seeking. You can come alive in him this morning. So how does this work? Verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. So how do you come to faith? I said that earlier. Let me correct myself. You don't. He comes to you. By grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. Dead people don't take this on themselves. It is grace through faith. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is belief and surrender and trust, and it is by the Spirit of God that we have faith. We need to know this, that it is a gift of God. And so if, if, if I can't save myself, if I can't come to Christ, if you can't come to Christ, if He comes to you, and where does that leave us? Well, let me just say something. If, if God is stirring in your heart this morning at all, any love for Jesus, any affection for him, it is not natural. It is supernatural, and God is on your trail. Because natural people don't desire God. They don't seek God. And so if if you have an inkling of desire this morning, I want you to know God's on your trail. He woos sinners like me from spiritual death. Sinners like you from spiritual death respond to that. It's not a delusion, but the God of the universe is on your trail. Verse 10, when we're made alive together with Christ, there's a new walk that we have. It's not a walk of swagger. It's a walk of mission says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's, there's a bunch of sermons that, that deserve to be preached on this verse right here. But what we need to know, Steve alluded to this, that, that we are God's art project. His craftsmanship, his handiwork. You are not pond scum that accidentally evolved into an, inhe- an intelligent human being. But you're the craftsmanship of God himself. And we're made for good works. And, and, and these works, you've got to get this order right. They are the fruit of salvation. They are not the root. They come from salvation. This happens to Christians. Christians. Years ago, I I, I thought these good works really for me meant a, a, a public disposition of good works. And so I wrote a couple of books that you've never read, praise God. I thought that, that, it was, that, that I needed to pursue this and to gain an audience so that I could tell them about Jesus, and that sounds real nice, except for it was just about me as much as it was about Jesus. So I wanted to, 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 to do that. I'm not ashamed of the theology of the books or, or anything. I'm just telling you, that's the wrong mentality. That's a mentality of that I got to shine for me to be effective in these good works, that I've got to be seen for me to be effective in these good works. But what God showed me is the supernatural beauty of ordinary Christian living. Just being a Christ follower in Argyle, Texas, where I'm at, who I'm with. This is not a, a, a public-facing thing for you and I but an ordinary thing and a beautiful thing. Jesus said, he's like, don't make long prayers. Don't don't be one of those prayer performers where you're just spouting out these theological words so people think you're super holy. Go in your closet and pray. Pray. Don't don't love people so that you can be seen and loved, but simply love people. Love people by the side of the road. Love the broken people. Love the jacked up people. Love the people that you don't want to love. And just do it as you go. There's a new walk. Verse 2, we once walked if we were dead in our trespasses, which is a way of life. That's what the Bible means by this walk. You're not literally walking. It's just as you go. If you're a spiritually dead person, you walk like a spiritually dead person. If you're spiritually alive, you're called to walk in these good works as you go, not so you can shine. I was walking yesterday morning around my neighborhood just looking at the houses, just thinking, who's supposed to reach these people? You have a burden for the people in this town, the people to your right and to your left. I have a burden I don't know them. I want them to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Do you have a burden for the people that God has put in front of you? You're a missionary. Every one of us in this room who's a Christ follower is a missionary. And our, our good works, they're not, they're not special projects They're not things that you work on for a really long time and release to the public. It's what you do today when you leave here. And again, the recipients of these good works, of this love, of us sharing ourselves with the world that God has placed us in, it's for the people you don't like. The ranters on social media. Yes, this applies to social media. Them. The HOA complainers who report you for your Adirondack chairs. Them. It's easy to love the people who love you. I once heard someone say, hey, you should love the people who love you. That's nothing to love the people that love you. Love the people who hate you. That's what Jesus says. You can only do that if you understand that's how he's loved you. You're not just going to manufacture this. And so we're called to radical generosity in every way, meaning opening our very selves to the world around us in an ordinary, everyday way that we just simply walk in. And I praise God for the freedom of this, that I don't have to plan out these good works, but I simply go. And I praise God for the the freedom to fail. To fail at evangelism. To fail at loving my neighbor because there's grace for me and there's grace for you. And I I praise God for the the freedom to, to be criticized for that. Sometimes you love people and they hate you for loving them. That's okay, that's not abnormal. And there's freedom also because we have the affirmation of God to be unnoticed, to do things quietly, humbly, without anyone seeing what we're doing for the glory of God and the good of those who he has called us to. Is this not the greatest story ever told? And Jesus invites you into this this morning. I just want to read a few different verses that, that is really an invitation to you. So John 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, church family, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Dead people can be made alive in Christ. Matthew 11, the tender invitation of Jesus, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, come. Revelation 22 says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, which is the church. Jesus is explaining this. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So I invite you this morning to respond to this. If this is the first time you're hearing this, the first time this this has been offered to you, the invitation, Jesus says, come. Come. And if this is the millionth time you've heard this, let this just wash over you and amaze you. Jesus says, come, that dead people can be made alive by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God and a gift that he extends to you right now. Come. Come. Father, we thank you for the invitation. We thank you for your immeasurable riches set forth in Christ and offered to us. Not because we deserve them, we don't. I pray that, God, you would wake us up, that in here this morning, right now, the spiritually dead would come to life in Christ and be raised with him and, and seated with him. The fact that I can even pray is a gift which was purchased by Jesus. And so as we pray together, Right now. And as we're about to unite our voices in song, would you give us freedom to do that? Not self protection, not self consciousness, but freedom. Holy Spirit, light up our eyes to see what we need to see to taste the immeasurable riches in Christ. Amen.